morning all. It's time for our Bible reading. Turn with me to page 1048 in the Church Bibles. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants up and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Stu, for reading to us. And if you're new with us today, we're working through Jesus' teaching in Luke's Gospel on proclaiming and growing the Saviour's kingdom this morning, as you've heard from Luke chapter 15. Uh, before we get stuck into the text, there are a few key points to deal with up front. First, what is a parable? Uh, because we've got a three-parter in today's passage, uh, which involved Jesus referencing human characters and situations to teach a spiritual lesson to his hearers. And often, there's a double meaning, i.e. a worldview and a heavenly truth, which Jesus uses both to teach and to challenge. Secondly, if you've ever wondered or still struggle, perhaps, with how God, the Trinity, works, that is, three persons in one, all fully God, but distinctive Father, Son, and Spirit, the three-part parable in Luke 15, gives us a picture that should help you as they illustrate the nature of the Son, the Spirit, and the Father working together. Thirdly and finally, our title uh, today, God Seeks the Lost, sounds rather passive on first hearing, but that completely misses what's at the heart of Luke 15, which is God's heart. Let me put it this way. Um, what's the most valuable thing in the world to you? And if you lost that thing, what lengths and how far would you go to find it and get it back? And perhaps just take 30 seconds to discuss that with your neighbour. What's the most valuable thing in the world to you? And if you lost that thing, what lengths and how far would you go to get it back? Okay, that's probably, uh, probably, probably enough time. Uh, can ca carry on that conversation over tea and coffee afterwards. <laughs> so I, I found a true story uh, that might help us to think about this. Let me read uh, this to you. Sometime in the early 1980s, metal detection enthusiasts Reg Mead and Richard Miles encountered a woman who told them a strange story. She said that her father, a farmer on the island of Jersey, had discovered silver coins while ploughing his field. So Mead and Miles approached the farmer, who gave them permission to search, but only for 10 or 15 hours right after the field's crops were harvested each year. 30 years later, in June 2012, Mead and Miles were still searching when they spotted coins. Calling in some professional archaeologists, the coins slowly made their way out of the ground, all 68,000 of them. What became known as Le Catalan II, the Catalan II hoard also contained gold necklaces and glass beads, and archaeologists determined that the hoard was buried around 30 to 40 BC by the French Celts likely fleeing from the Roman army. So 2,000 years lost, 
and the 30-year search before they found it. What a party they must have had. More seriously, this story and your own stories that you were discussing are pale reflections of the heart of God and the passion, energy, time he puts into seeking the lost, starting with his son Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells us clearly why and how God seeks the lost and what happens when the lost are found, when a sinner repents. And so the question and the challenge for each of us this morning is, where do we stand on that? Let me pray before we dive into the passage. Dear Father God, thank you for giving us the words of Jesus, your Son, so that we might know exactly how you feel about those who are both lost and far away from you. Help me as I explain that, and help us all to hear and respond to this teaching and this challenge. Amen. So let's uh, begin then. Turn back, please, uh, to Luke chapter 15 in your Bibles, page 1048, if you put it down. And right up in the front of the passage, Jesus sets the scene and the reason, we find the reason Jesus is telling uh, this parable. He's sitting there with tax collectors who were regarded in their day as the worst of the worst and sinners who were the rest of the worst. All of them were gathered around to hear Jesus, but there were also Pharisees and teachers of the law there who were the church leaders of their day. They weren't really there to hear Jesus, but they were criticizing him and muttering. You read in verse 2, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so this holy huddle, this group of leaders of God's chosen nation, Israel, uh, they had decided two things. Firstly, they decided that the tax collectors and the sinners were sinners. And secondly, they decided that they themselves were righteous. And in doing so, they'd completely forgotten God's instruction is writing in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 which says indeed there is no one on earth who is righteous no one who does what is right and never sins and so these church leaders are in fact self-righteous they thought they didn't need God's help they didn't recognize Jesus God's promised Messiah sitting to them sitting with them and speaking to them and so that's why in verse 3 we hear and read that Jesus told them, that is both groups of people, the tax collectors and the other sinners, uh, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, both groups, um, this parable. That's one parable, by the way, in three parts, not three parables, as we'll see. And all three parts of the parable include teaching and challenge for the two groups uh, for us, as we'll see. But didn't you think, when Stu read it earlier, the older son, that was a bit odd. Let me just read again and turn back to... Verses 25 to 27. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. All very matter of fact. The older son heard the commotion, went to ask the servant, heard the explanation, so everything was okay, right? No, the older brother, we read, was angry, resentful, and refused even to go into the house, which is ironic, isn't it? Because the brother with the greatest inheritance stayed outside, whilst the prodigal son, who was lost and disgraced, is now inside, enjoying the feast and celebration. And if 
That reminds some of you who were here over the past few weeks of Jesus' other warnings in Luke 13 and 14. You'd be right. Because this is the feast and the banquet in heaven that all the self-righteous would be missing out on. And yet, we read also that the father still comes out in verse 28 to plead with the elder son. But his response, or rather his tirade, we see the big issue, his heart issue. Let me read verses 29 and 30. But the older son answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So much bitterness and resentment and hardness of heart. This son of yours, he spits out towards his father. Not this brother of mine, this son of yours. Not a shred of the father's love or his compassion, only jealousy and selfishness. And the older brother thought that he was being obedient and working hard. But for whose gain? He's blind, clearly, to the blessings and to the grace and mercy of God to the lost. Let me just read what his father said. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And in fact, this picture of the elder brother is just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And that's the point Jesus was making. These people who thought they were okay were so very much not okay. And if by chance that's you, Jesus' warning is especially important. So beware the self-righteous. Turning to the first part of uh, the parable then, God seeks the lost. They recall the words that John read to us earlier from Ezekiel 34. This is the fulfillment of God's rebuke to those self-righteous leaders and his promise to the shepherd uh, to shepherd the lost and scattered sheep himself in the person of Jesus. Let me read verses 4 to 6, please read with me. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So this sheep, let's call it Flossie, has taken a fancy to the grass through the broken wall and spotted some delicious tufty stuff a bit further on. And she carries on, and before she knows it, the others are out of sight and forgotten. Uh, But she still carries on getting further away and maybe closer to the cliff edge. And just at that moment, the shepherd who would be leading the sheep in those days, not herding them from behind, but leading them from the front, and therefore missed Flossie slipping away, does a quick count. Perhaps that count was on the hoof, I don't know. But realises that one sheep is gone. And instead of thinking, oh, well, that's only one out of 99, he immediately leaves the 99, trusting they'll be safe, and sets out to find and rescue his lost Flossie, which he does. And... Not only that, he's so overjoyed that Flossie is safe and not a wolf's lunch or another shepherd's pie that he celebrates and says, Rejoice 
with me. And just imagine how all of those gathered around Jesus at this point would be feeling. They might be saying, yeah, I get all that. Maybe the friends and neighbors is a bit over the top. But what's the spiritual meaning here, Jesus? Let's read verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The point is that God seeks the lost because they're his. So when his search is successful, the mission is accomplished, the lost are found, it's a big deal and there is rejoicing in heaven because Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost has got his man or his woman back. And though the sheep can't say, sorry Jesus, we can. And that's what it means to repent. So if you, maybe you grew up going to church but wandered off, got distracted by the greener, tuftier grass on the other side of the fence, or anything else for that matter, then please know that Jesus is seeking after you. And he's not cross or angry, as we'll see more of in part three. He will do the heavy lifting and he'll take care of you. Also in verse seven, though, just notice... There's no celebration um, for the 99 self-righteous who didn't need saving. And that may have pleased the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Maybe they felt vindicated at that point. But as we've seen already, they're in for a bit of a shot when Jesus gets to the point for them. So on to part two of the parable. The picture Jesus paints now is of a house and a woman, maybe a wife or widow, has lost a coin. So what, you think? She's got nine more, but look down at the note against the text. This coin is worth more than a day's wages, so far more than Flossie in part one of the parable. And if this coin was part of a necklace, maybe part of a uh, a dowry or uh, a widow's security, then it's no wonder that this woman searches for it. And how does she search? Well, not like the average man, I would dare to suggest. Uh, Joe and Katie, my wife, and daughter were once at a museum with my mother and they lost her because she wandered off and if it had been James and me we may have glanced up and down and we may never have seen my mother again (laughs) but no not Joe and Katie pouring over the security videotapes with the duty manager and his team for an hour till they found out where she'd gone and headed off in the right direction to find her in the same way Our woman lights the lamp, gets out the broom, and searches until she finds her precious coin. And like the shepherd, she invites her friends and neighbours to celebrate. Her cry is, rejoice with me, for I found my lost coin. And though a coin is inanimate, we're not. Although sometimes we behave as if we are inanimate, but we're not. We're more precious to, to Jesus and more precious to God than any coin. And even though Jesus, the shepherd, is not around in person, his spirit lives in Christians and in churches here and all over the world. And he works through them, through us, to seek after the lost, just as Jesus would, shining his word and his truth like the lamp, bringing light and life into the lives who maybe are oblivious of God, oblivious to what Jesus has done for them, oblivious that the Lord of life is searching for them because they are precious to him. And what happens in this part of the parable when the lost is found, when the sinner repents and says sorry in verse 10? Well, the same 
as before. There's rejoicing in heaven in the presence of angels. And so God seeks the lost because they are his and because they are precious to him. But did you notice the difference between the second and the first part at this point? What's missing is that there's no mention of the 99 this time. And I wondered if that might have started to worry the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or if they were sitting there still smug from part one of the parable. On to part three, where we see great sin, great repentance, and greater forgiveness, as we've already sung about earlier, because God has compassion for the lost. Let me read verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, that is the son, the younger son, the His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And we'll come back to that. But to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to work through the passage from verse 11, which says Jesus continued, which is why we know this is all one parable and not three. And then this section starts off innocuously enough. The father and two sons, the younger son, asked for his share of the state. And maybe you were thinking, well, that's, a bit cheeky young man. Couldn't you wait at least until he's a bit ill? And uh, don't get any ideas, kids, please. But the father is generous and does as his son asks. And as the custom was in that day, two-thirds of his possessions would go to the elder son and one-third to the younger son, who quickly cashes in the assets and clears off overseas, far away from his father and from home, aware instead of managing the money and investing wisely, blows it all. And blows it all on, um, on wild living, as the passage teaches us. But then, on top of all of that, we read in verse 14 that disaster strikes. Maybe, it doesn't say in the passage, maybe a war had broken out in the breadbasket of Emir that caused food and energy prices to skyrocket. And then, maybe there was a fierce heat wave and drought set in. Well, we read there was a famine. And as the last of the son's money drained away, this poor young Jewish lad was forced to sell himself into slavery, feeding his master's pigs, but still his stomach was empty. He was craving even to taste Percy Pig's pods, uh, as we read in verse 16, but no one gave him anything. And again, just stepping back for a moment, what would have been going through The crowd's minds now as they listen to Jesus. Revulsion, no doubt, about how far the younger son had sunk, below even the unclean pigs. But I wonder if the tax collectors and the other sinners were starting to get the message by now that Jesus was describing how far some of them had moved away from God. Maybe they were thinking, for the younger son, without money or food or a mobile phone, how on earth... Uh, will he call for help? Where is his help going to come from? Except that the first two parts of this parable so far should give us hope, and maybe they gave the hearers hope back then as well. The shepherd who came to seek his own lost sheep, the spirit who spoke the same message, even when the shepherd was otherwise engaged, is that maybe what brought the son to his senses, as we read in verse 17, in the same way that King Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes up to heaven after seven years' suffering of boanthropy, as we studied earlier in the year in Daniel chapter 4. Well, I don't know, those two things are speculation on my part, but what is in no doubt 
is that the younger son realised that his own foolishness and disobedience had put him in this dark place and that he'd sinned against or wronged his father and God in heaven and was not even worthy of being called a son anymore. So this younger brother, this young son, resolves to ask his father if he might take him back in as a servant. Surely it's better to be a servant for my father than a slave to a foreign master. And he sets off and somehow makes it back all the way. But surprise is waiting for him, as we read in verse 20. His father is running towards him, which tells us exactly what the father's heart desired, and that this was no accident. Think about it for a minute. The father may be waiting and watching every day, at every moment, looking out for his lost son to return, fearing he might be dead, but seeing him appear now a mile away from home. So he runs to him and embraces him. And the son, who'd decided to go back and repent and ask his father to make him a hired servant, his son starts his confession in verse 21 of the passage. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he was about... So he starts his confession, repents of his sin and his unworthiness and was about to carry on to ask his father to make him a servant. But the father, for the father, that's enough. His confession, his repentance of sin, of his own unworthiness, that's enough for the father. And instead of hearing him out, the father speaks a few concise commands to his servants and within a few minutes the son's honour and sonship is fully restored as shown by the robe and the ring and the sandals. His sin and shame were forgotten, and instead of skulking back into the house through the back door, it's a proper feast and celebration with echoes of what happens in heaven in part one and part two of the parable. But now, the picture is of heaven. Uh, A lost or dead son is home and alive. And so that is what is in store for those um, who turn back to God and repent of their sin and unworthiness. It's not a scolding. It's not punishment. It's a royal welcome into God's own family. And I'm not sure in the world today why so many have this irrational and wrong view of God as a fearsome ogre, but Jesus teaches us that God the Father is full of compassion, love, life, and fun. So when his lost son is found when one sinner repents. Of course, he will throw a party. Just thinking about some of the applications for us this morning. As Christians, we believe that God speaks through the Bible, so it's always right and good to ask, what is the Lord prompting you to consider from his word today? This parable that Jesus told is not for they, not just for, for the audience sitting around him at the time, the tax collectors, the sinners, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Before we just flick on one on the slides. This is is a message for us, for each of us. So what is the Lord prompting you to consider from his word today? Well, here's a few prompts from me, but do think and chat over tea and coffee or lunch later. First of all, if you are a Christian here this morning, do you have God's heart to seek the lost? Remember, The church is the only club that exists for its non-members. The members have lots of benefits, by the way, but 
the church exists for the non-members. So are you following Jesus' example, working with God's spirit to seek the lost with the woman's diligence and the shepherd's determination? There are plenty of ways to do that here uh, at the church. So if you're not, then please do come and talk to any of the leaders. And also rejoice, if you're a Christian, when you see others repenting and being saved by Jesus. That is what the woman and the shepherd called their friends and neighbours to do. That is what we should be doing when we see sinners repenting and being saved. Secondly, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or if you've wandered or run away from God, or if you never thought about it before or known that God seeks the lost, that you might be lost, and I trust you'll have understood that from the message of Luke 15 today. But don't just leave it there. If you know you're lost, cry for help to the living God who hears and will forgive you and welcome you back if you truly repent. Thirdly, as I said earlier, if there's any risk that you're an elder brother with us today but standing outside of a heart relationship with Jesus and therefore in danger of missing out on the feast... My concern is there are some like that here today. Then I'd urge you to open your heart, repent and trust in the good shepherd who came to seek and to save the lost. Finally, as Jesus has given us today a glimpse into heaven, we know that angels and saints will be rejoicing over every single sinner who repents. Or as Jesus puts it in verse 24 and 32, just to sort of combine them because he repeats it. We have to celebrate for this son of mine, this brother or sister of yours, was dead and is alive again. He or she is, was lost and is found. Amen. Amen.